You plan to vote for any of these things? I don't. So all five, you're going to vote no. All right. I plan to vote no on all five, but I will give Amendment 1 credit where it's due. It's the least worst of them all. Well, okay, let's start there. I did start at number one because it looks to me, it, it actually... It actually sounds palatable to me. Permits the state to set aside money from sporting goods sales taxes to a fund that will aid conservation of natural resources. It doesn't cost me a thing until I walk into a sporting goods store, and it doesn't even cost me anything there. I'm already paying the tax. It just allocates a portion of it to this conservation fund. Uh, What's the problem? That's exactly right, and it's not a new tax, so good job for the legislature for that. But For me, the problem is in the language, in that it's up to 80% that they're dedicating to this fund, and the language is actually up to. So instead of having a shall dedicate 80% and putting all that money where it was initially intended to go in this law several years ago, they're giving the legislature and the state agents some leeway on if they want to. They can just do 5 to 10% and still be in compliance with this constitutional amendment. And I'm of the belief that the constitutional amendment is supposed to dictate restrictions on our government, not people. And it doesn't do either of those. There's no teeth. There's no meat. By the way, that's a dirty trick. And, and it's an old one. And they do this a lot. They, the people who write these amendments, who word these amendments, these proposed amendments, uh, that, that's a dirty trick. And it, good on you for calling them out on this. Look, I've always told people to look for this in deciding these constitutional amendments. However wonderful you think the idea is, look for two little words. One will be there. The other will not. Uh, if you see the word shall then at least you know what you're dealing with. The, the, the money shall be allocated for X, Y, and Z purpose. When you see that word may, uh, money may be allocated for, uh-uh, walk, don't run, or run, don't walk away from that one. And you're telling me that's kind of what we're looking at here. It's a, a may as opposed to shall. Right, and it says that they shall, you know, dedicate this money, but they're already doing that in the sense that that's what the money was intended for. It's just it's not going to the fund, and this doesn't actually force them to put it toward the fund anyway. So what's the point? Jessica Zalaji, all on Georgia. And I looked at number two, and it, it, my, it, my reflex was instantly to vote against this one. i uh, just uh, step you through it here. Uh, sets up a statewide business court system. The governor appoints the judges. They have to be approved by the legislature. Uh, we elect judges typically in Georgia. Uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Georgia is backing this one. It, it's, again, a, a, a business court. First, there are two reasons that I just, as a knee-jerk, reflexive matter, objected to this one. One, it sounds like another layer of bureaucracy, another layer of legal bureaucracy. We don't need that. And number two, this business about reversing the procedure here. Oh, the governor will appoint these judges. No, we we at least have a mechanism for electing judges. I already know you're voting no on this one. What are your reasons? Um, I agree with you, and, you know, I'm tired of unaccountable um, appointed officials they, they cause us lots of problems. But in, re, with regard to the amendment specifically, we don't even really know what the business court is going to look like. They've set out terms for the judges, how they'll obviously come to office, and a few other things. But when you go to the bill that enabled this amendment to appear on our ballot, there's no specifics as to how the court will operate, what types of cases will go before. And while we've seen a lot of success with veterans courts and drug courts, this is a little bit different because businesses involve individuals as well. And I just think that, again, there's not enough information to decide if this should be part of our Constitution. All right, number three, Amendment number three, and again, there are five, and we're 18 days away from Election Day. 
uh, deals with the assessment of timberland. Uh, what happens frequently now, uh, if people get into positions where it's easier to sell to developers and then to, you know, to get out from under big tax burden there. This is designed to, however it would go about doing that, to uh, encourage the timberland owners to hold on to uh, their land and, and set it aside for conservation. Again, I look at this and it sounds all warm and fuzzy and it doesn't reach into my wallet. So what do I care? Well, um, this could hurt some of our local governments, and this has been a discussion at a lot of the meetings that I've been at lately down here in South Georgia. You know, right now, the tax assessor sends you your bill, and you send it back directly to the county. Under this provision, if it becomes a constitutional amendment, it's going to go to the state and then kind of disperse back to the, the localities. But seen with the federal gas tax, you know, when you send it up, they take a little off the top and and then send a little less back. And um, the, the local governments are very concerned about this because they're usually taxed at the local level, and this is going to kind of, with the idea of leveling the playing field a little bit so more taxpayers know what to expect. But now, doesn't the amendment provide for reimbursement for the local governments? It does, but I don't believe it's 100%. Jessica Zalaji, all on Georgia. I want to skip Amendment 4 for a moment. That's the one that most people seemingly know the most or care the most about. There's the biggest effort to get Amendment 4 across the finish line. So I want to spend an extra amount of time on that one. Skip over to Amendment 5 here. Uh, and this deals with school districts. Uh, it doesn't deal specifically to Athens or Oconee County, only one school district in each of those counties. Just up the road, Jackson County. Jackson County has three school districts, uh, two municipal and, and Jackson County, Commerce, Jefferson, and Jackson. There are other instances of that all over the state. And what this one would do, it, it deals with these county sales tax referendums and the share, uh, the the portion of proceeds that is distributed to the multiple school districts. Uh, it, it says the larger one, take, for example, the case I just mentioned, Jackson County, uh, or, or give you an even better example, Gwinnett County, the largest school district in the state. And there is that one little tiny Buford City School District there in Gwinnett County. Under the terms of Amendment 5, Gwinnett County can call for a sales tax referendum, and the smaller school district, in this case City of Buford Schools, would share in the proceeds on a per capita basis. Uh, what's the problem here? The problem here is that it actually allows for an, addition, like an additional tax and on what we already have. And so my biggest concern with this is, one, is it's confusing to understand because, like you said, not all these school districts have um, city districts and a county district in the same one. But when you're looking at adding an additional tax and they don't really explain that in the ballot and people say, well, it doesn't really apply to me, what happens when, you, when, a, when a county has a new school district created? Because that's not unreasonable to think about growing populations. Sure. You know, it, it's just, it's too confusing, and it's, it was not, it got bipartisan for it, but it also had bipartisan opposition, which I think is telling as well. Yeah, and it, you know, you got these, and this, listen, this happens anyway under any circumstance, but now you've got multiple jurisdictions. They don't always play nice in the same sandbox anyway. This sounds like it would be just another excuse for school districts in this instance to get sideways one with another. And you know, to levy another tax yeah, because yeah. They're, the, the intent is that not to let the, the big guy step on the little guy mm -hmm. or vice versa, to have the little guy be too um, maybe autonomous what's going on in the county. And doing this is just going to 
say, well, you know, for in the interest of being fair to everyone, let's just add another tax. Amendment 4, it would provide a constitutional guarantee of crime victims' rights. Uh, what do we make of this one, Amendment 4? Our campaign is very well funded. It's a national effort with the ultimate goal being an amendment to our U.S. Constitution. Um, but the, the campaign, before it even got to Georgia, had spent $27 million in other states. And that's a little concerning to me. Yeah, just, you just kind of, and I, I'm in the same place, you're just kind of uh, intuitively concerned. If you have to spend that much money to make a case for something that should be that it's self-evident, then, then what am I missing? And you tell me, what am I missing here? Well, you know, the ads have, have said that it's time for equal rights for victims, which I have found to be a little bit misleading because we're all equal under the Constitution as it is right now. And what this is advocating for is actually more um, rights for victims, which that's a difficult position to take, that you're against having additional rights. But if we're all supposed to be equitable under the law, then this is not something that we should be advocating for. Jessica Zalaji, all on Georgia. Uh, the other part of this is the fact that so much of this is already in state law. Now, I get this. Uh, people will, there's a response to that, which is, that, well, you know, the legislature can at a whim change the state law. This would give it a, another degree of protection, a, a degree of permanency. The problem with that is, aside from the substance of the thing, whether it's a good amendment or not, aside from the substance of it, is the fact that the, the changing the Georgia Constitution is not nearly so problematic as changing the U.S. Constitution. What are we up to? Twenty-eight or nine amendments to the U.S. Constitution. We got thousands of the things. We we amend the Constitution in Georgia all the time. We do, and we we do it very haphazardly without any concern for what the effects are down the road. And you know, there's prosecutors, there's defense attorneys, even some victim ad, victims advocacy groups that are a little concerned about um, what this will do because when you go from an opt-in system, which is what we have now, where the victim can opt in to notify to a mandate that has actual recourse for having your constitutional rights violated because you weren't notified, you know, mm. that's going to have a need for more staff, more people in these offices, and it can slow down the legal process because instead of moving forward with the proceedings when a victim hasn't chosen to opt in, the prosecutors and these offices are going to have to take the time to track down a victim before someone who's sitting in jail can have their due process. Jessica, and the biggest concern out of all of it is that it's somebody who's an alleged perpetrator, not a convicted. You know, we're not. We are talking about parole and pardons and things like that. But we're also talking about the front end of the legal process, which is frightening to me. Okay, yeah, separate those two for a moment, because I was just about to go there. The back end is, yeah, okay, the guy who assaulted me just did his five years, and now he's out, and they're going to tell me that he's out. That's the back end. What are we talking about on the front end? On the front end, we're talking about the, the victim. When The way that the language is is that the victim would have the opportunity to participate in, you know, like be aware of grand jury proceedings and, um, you know, initial bond hearings and all these things on the front end where a, a defendant even doesn't usually have rights to be a part of those. And we're, we're going to advocate for victims to be a part of those things by state constitutional mandates. And, and, to, and if you don't know, you don't know. But, I mean, is this done in other states or what's like this in other states? You mentioned a multi-state effort. I mean, is there some other state we can look at? Okay, here's how it works in Arkansas or whatever. Well, what's been difficult is because, you know, to get it on the ballot, it's approved by a legislature, and they've all done different things. But I think California, Ohio, Illinois, Montana, North Dakota, and South Dakota have it. And then on 
the ballot in a lot of southeastern states right now, they're all tweaked a little bit differently. But, you know, in Montana, um, it never actually took full effect because it was stopped by their Supreme Court. A little, you know, a little bit different, but same same issues across the board. And in South Dakota, they had to um, go back and amend it again because it was so expensive and it was slowing down the legal process to the point where the sheriff's offices were, were contacting legislature, legislators to say, can you please do something? Jessica Zalaji, all on Georgia.com, is the website. You're 0 for 5 on these amendments. You're not planning to vote for <laughs> any of these things. Uh, quickly, you're down there in Statesboro. Uh, we get what we get, largely our media out of Atlanta. And, of course, Brian Kemp is a hometown guy here in Athens. So we have a pretty good notion of what the governor's race looks like here, at least. What does it look like in Statesboro? What does it look like in South Georgia? South Georgia seems to be Kemp's country as well, as long as you don't venture into Savannah. Um, but, you know, what's going to be really interesting is the down-the-ballot races, specifically with the Secretary of State and John Barrow, because he was a congressman down here, and there are a lot of Republicans who liked him and uh, liked his constituent services and the way he was elected official. So, you know, I think we'll be heavy Republican at the top of the ballot, but I think you're going to see a lot of crossover from South Georgia as you make your way down. You know, I hear that. I hear that about a couple of other races, and I wonder, I, I mean, I, this is me, and I'm just giving you conventional wisdom here. I think this is a straight party vote. I mean, I think people are going to walk in. They're either going to pull all R or all D. I, I keep, well, John Barrow has a shot, and maybe he does. Of course, that assumes that Stacey Abrams doesn't, and I don't make that assumption. But, I mean, I, 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 I just see it one way or the other. I, I see this being a straight party election. There are a lot of people who are, you know, I see this vote red vote blue, no, no talk of crossover, but, uh, I mean, in the communities that I work in, which include, you know, a four-county radius, at least in our area, there are a lot of people who were excited to hear that John Barrow was running um, and were happy to announce to everyone that they're, they plan to vote for him, even though they're, you know, Republican everywhere else. Circle back to where we started here, uh, this all on Georgia thing. And this effort's been around for a few years now and, and is meeting with some success online, uh, getting down to and drilling into the really it, on a certain level. If, if you're looking, I don't know, I'm sitting here in Athens and she's telling me about some city council meeting in, in some little town down there in southeast Georgia. But you get into the nuts and bolts of government. Listen, that's where people live. That's where that's where the the government that impacts you the most is there. It's not in Atlanta and it's certainly not in Washington. On the other hand, you can get into some pretty nasty scrapes with some of the folks down there. Follow you online, it looks like you have. Yes, it has. And, you know, it's a target-rich environment because there's a lot of mentality down here of this is how it's always been. And, you know, <laughs> we're not Atlanta, so we don't need to follow the Atlanta rules and things like that. But what's been really wonderful to watch over the last several years with it is, you know, a negative story comes to light, but then you see the community engage and kind of take back their community and write the course for it. And that's been pretty powerful because it's very, I mean, as we know, it's very hard to write the course for the state or no, no bother, don't even bother trying on the national level. Right. But at the local level, you know, one election can be swayed by a couple hundred votes and change the the course of the city or the county for years to come. On the other hand, you run into the people you write about in Kroger down there. I mean, that, and that you has do. to be different. Now, you're not running into your congressman every day, but you're writing about somebody in the city council. Hey, there they are at Publix. It's funny, I said some, to someone just yesterday, it's a lot easier to write about state issues because when someone's mad at you or comments something nasty on your article, you're just like, 
oh, well, you know, no big deal. But it's a lot harder to walk into someone's restaurant that you've been writing about because they're, you know, their wife's on city council or something, and you've been exposing all the nasty things they're doing. So, yeah. Jessica Zalaji, all on Georgia. Hey, thanks for your work on these constitutional amendments. Uh, at least uh, if folks agree or disagree, but at least we understand them better. Thanks for your time this morning. Thanks for having me. Have a great day.